This wallpaper is dreadful. One of us will have to go. The famous last words of Oscar Wilde. <laughs> hey, uh, this is Brian and Taylor. Welcome to the Echo Podcast, where we are uh, spending a few weeks looking at the last words of Jesus on the cross. I'm Taylor. And I'm Brian. And this is the Echo Podcast. Where we are looking for truth in the noise. Yes, that was repetitive. Yeah, you, you did that, yeah. <laughs> I'm well. How are you? Not too shabby. Sorry for duplicating my words there. It's okay. It's either that or like you start and then it throws me off and I'm, <laughs> I'm a creature of habit and you need to stop it. I'm that cantankerous person who sometimes sits in the wrong chair on Sunday morning. Ooh. Ooh. I'm the curmudgeon who likes my spot. <laughs> so between the cantankerous and the curmudgeon, welcome to the Echo Podcast. Do you, do you leave your quilt on your chair when you leave and you just so you can come back to the same quilt and just cover up during the sermon? No, I just blow my, no- my nose into the tissue and then just leave it there just That'll to do make it. sure that nobody... That'll do it. People are like, oh. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do that. I, I, that okay. would be... That would be awful. Uh, okay. Well, this is episode two of our series, The Seven Words of Christ from the Cross. Last week, we got to look at uh, the word of forgiveness and the word of salvation. And today, we're going to look at the word of grace and the word of worship. Okay. So what was the third saying of Jesus on the cross? This is found in the gospel according to John verses 19, or chapter 19, verses 26 through 27. And I've, I've been reading from the NRSV, which mm-hmm. is a translation I really like. Um, but here's the word of grace. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which we believe to be John, standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Can we back up just a moment and remind people of the context? Because we're just jumping in here on this episode. What's happening? So right now, Jesus is on the cross. He has already gone through his illegal trial. He's already been flogged and beaten uh, by the, the, the Roman uh, legion. Uh, he has been uh, seen guilty by the Jewish Sanhedrin. Pontius Pilate has given him over to the Jews to let them do what they want, even though he's wanting to maintain his own power. So he's helping them go along. The disciples have scattered nobody who understands what's happening is really there. And even those people who are there, it's a mother who has lost a son, it's a friend who's losing his best friend, and it's people just kind of doing their jobs. So Jesus is on the cross after years of ministry, and he is dying. Yeah, he's he's experienced more pain than I can imagine on all kinds of levels. And his mother is, and John are there almost like, I don't know, out of loyalty, out of grief. Yeah. Um, Nobody's at the cross celebrating his death going, he's doing what he said. We understand. Even though this is awful, so much good is going to come from it. No, Nobody is at the cross fully understanding what's happening. So in the midst of that, Jesus looks and sees them, and what does he say? He essentially makes sure that his mother's going to be taken care of. Yeah. That's really it. Like a lot of people really want to hyper spiritualize this moment, or they mm-hmm. want to be like, "Oh, don't you see? This is it's like no, 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 no." He, Jesus is dying. Joseph is not in the picture for whatever reason. We don't know, um, mm-hmm. and and it's really not essential to the story. 
uh, at this point. And in his suffering, in his pain, he's already forgiven the thief. He's welcomed him to paradise. He's, um, he's forgiven the uh, soldiers who are mocking him with his clothing. And then he looks and he sees his mother and his best friend. John, take care of my mom. Yeah. That's it. That, that, that There's nothing overtly, if you will, deeply symbolic in this moment. There, there's no over-the-top spiritual, oh, well, we, the mother represents in the, no, 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 no. Jesus cares about his family, and he wants to make sure his mother is going to be taken care of when he's not there. Yes, and you may be thinking, well, yeah, but he rises from the dead and on the third day. Correct, but then he's only around them for another month, and and so he's thinking of who's going to care for my mom long term. Yeah. And we do get the answer to what John does because the text says, and from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Yeah. And treated her like family. Yeah. And, and there's this really, if, if you look in Jewish culture and everything, we see that the, the, if the son dies, then where does the inheritance go? Um, I was uh, intrigued to learn that in the Old Testament story, when Abram and Sarah, they go to Egypt uh, and he says, oh, this is my sister. Um, that's actually a common practice where husbands would, if you will, adopt their spouses so that should something happen to them and they don't have kids, the wife would actually get the inheritance Mm -hmm. because they were technically family. So that was a really common practice. Now, I'm not saying that we... uh, Hold on. Backtrack. Yes, that actually might be happening here. Uh, Jesus is actually doing an old Jewish custom of having his mother taken care of, that John now steps into that role. Mm -hmm. My question is, where are the other children of Mary? (laughs) Yeah. Because Jesus has a lot of half-siblings. That was my next question. Where are the other siblings? But we read throughout Scripture that the family wants to put Jesus away. They're like, they want they want him to stop doing what they're doing, and they're not present. Yeah. But his mother is. Yeah. Does that mean Jesus doesn't care about his other family members? No, I, I don't think that's what's happening. This woman carried him for nine months. This, this, this woman nurtured him and helped him walk. It makes me think of The Passion of the Christ, which is a, a great film, very Catholic, but a great film. But it's, it's, it, it's one of those films that I cry at the same scene every single time. And it's when Jesus is walking through that alleyway holding the cross, and he stumbles, and Mary, his mother, looks up. And as the man Jesus falls, she's reminded of Jesus, the child oh, falling. That and tears she, me up every so time, good. And she runs, going, Yeshua, Yeshua. And she, she lifts him, and she just wants to help him, and she can't. And his response is, see, I make all things new. And I'm gone, and I lose it, and I cry. Yeah. But from the cross, we see just Jesus is taking care of his mom. Yeah. Uh, that's it. So for me, the question really becomes... How do we treat our neighbor, our nearest neighbors who are our family? How do we treat our neighbors when we're suffering? Wow. That's it. Uh, that, that, that's, that's the question. How do you treat your neighbors when you are suffering? Yeah. I, I can think of times when people have said uh, or, or people have received care from someone and they, and they would say something along the lines of like, with all that's going on in their life and they still cared for me like this. When people are cared for in the midst of someone else's suffering, it it speaks a different volume to them. It's counterintuitive. It's just what we're seeing here in these sayings of Christ. Yeah, it's so counterintuitive, counterculture, cultural. It's the kind of kingdom that Jesus is calling us into and the kind of community that we all want to be part of. A normal person would say, look at my suffering. 
Do you not understand what I'm going through? Mm-hmm. And yet Jesus shows us what real normal humanity looks like, or at least what it should be. And yeah. it's, oh man, are you okay? No, no, no. no. I, everything is no. Everything's awful with me right now. But how are you? I'm gonna make sure you're taken care of. Yeah. That that blows my mind. Of all the sayings, this is the one that always gets me. It mm. it it causes me such um, deep internal conflict because I I get to ask really basic questions. How do I treat other people when I'm having a bad day? Uh, that's a good question for us to consider. Yeah. Wow. Just just really simple things. Okay. So saying number four is a word of worship. Right. And this is found actually twice, once in the gospel according to Matthew chapter 27, 46, and then once in the gospel according to Mark 15, 34. Matthew says, and about three o'clock Jesus cried out with a loud voice. I always struggle to pronounce that, so I'm just going to give the translation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the gospel according to Mark says the same thing about three o'clock jesus cried out with a loud voice my god my god why have you forsaken me mm-hmm. interestingly enough jesus is quoting a psalm here and it's psalm 22 do you have that where you can I check do. it out go for it so verse one is what you just read um but then as the psalm goes on it's a psalm of of suffering and people are mocking me and everything is going wrong and we get to verse 16, dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. I'm picturing the soldiers here. Right. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and glow over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. We put, we put Jesus' words in the larger context of Psalm 22, and what is Jesus saying here? I'm still going to worship God. It actually makes me think of Job whenever he says, yeah. should we accept the good from God and not the bad? We see that even in suffering and even in pain, Christ is still giving his Father attention. When I think about the idea of worship, it's this idea that we're not made to worship as if we can somehow turn on and turn it off or that certain things are worship and certain things aren't. I think Harold Best in his book, Unceasing Worship, he says, no, we were made worshiping. Yeah. And we're always going to worship something. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not we can or that we don't or we will or won't. It's everybody worships something. And in this moment of suffering, of excruciating pain, what do we see Christ doing? Again, as the new human showing us what we should do, He's worshiping the Father. Mm-hmm. He is glorifying God in suffering. He's not ignoring the suffering. I think that's important. I was going to ask about that. He's not ignoring yeah. the suffering. He's actually embracing it. And in the suffering, what does he do to God? Naked I come, naked I go. Yeah. That that that's. Can we do we do that? Can we Ooh. do that? I I don't know. Yeah, I love the honesty, and I think the Bible keep showing this to us because it's so hard for us to understand. We want to dismiss the pain or try to overcome it on our own, and Jesus doesn't do that. Yeah. Like, this is terrible. It's like there's dogs around me right now tearing at me, um, and he doesn't dismiss that. He's fully honest of, of God, how much this hurts, Yeah. and yet... I still worship you. Yeah. And there's a question of uh, the Trinity in this moment, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people are going to say things like, oh, well, God turned his back on the sun. And I was like, I, I, no, I don't, I don't see that's happening, you know? Um, Rather, 
um, since God can never truly be separate from himself, mm-hmm. if, if you want to look at it that way, um, he doesn't abandon his son, no. despite what the son in the flesh may be feeling and experiencing. But I think it reveals the nearness of God to suffering. And our response should be what Christ's response is. The, the son is not crying against the father, but to him. Hmm. That's that's a big distinction. How often yes. do we yes. pray against God yeah. or rally against Him in our suffering, being being antagonistic towards God, the God mm-hmm. we love and we adore, but sometimes we have feelings of animosity and even hatred. But Christ doesn't do that. He he doesn't go against God in yeah. His pain. He cries out to Him. When people are suffering and come to me and ask about that, first I appreciate that they're talking to people about what they're feeling. And I encourage them to be really honest in their suffering, but there, there should not be years of space between the first few verses of Psalm 22 and the closing. Right. There, there does need to be a place where we are fully honest with God, but we're still within the context of the chapter. Mm. We're not going to go for years of just being angry and saying, God, how could you do this to me? Right. We will have moments where we are saying that, and we may say that at different times in different seasons, but we don't keep those far removed from finishing the chapter and working to, but God, I still worship you. I don't get it. I don't understand this, but I still worship you. Yeah, I think if we're not careful, we will oftentimes think of our physical discomfort Mm-hmm. or our pain or our ailments or mm-hmm. bad relationships or bad situations. And we'll say, oh, this is what God needs to deliver me from. Yeah. As opposed to carry me through. Yeah. A- again, it's it's the mentality, right? Like, oh, God, make this stop. As opposed to how does this draw me closer to God and to my mm-hmm. neighbor? When E.V. Hill uh, preached his wife's funeral service, uh, he just wrestled with Job 121, mm-hmm. which you referenced in which uh, E.V. Hill said, you know, so oftentimes uh, when things are good, we say, blessed be the name of the Lord. But when things go bad, we pitch a temper tantrum. Yeah. And the sign of Christian maturity is even when things go bad, blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah. Because we know throughout Scripture, we, we are repeatedly confronted with the idea that God works all things together for good. But that implies that the bad has a place. Not that God causes it. Now, if we're not careful, we'll get into the idea of like, oh, well, God makes bad things happen. And to an extent, yes, but not the way that we think of. The idea that God does discipline, Mm -hmm. the idea that there's judgment, the idea that God is holy and so other from us. But at the same time, we need to make sure that we couple what God does with his character. Yeah. So what's happening to Jesus right now is for God's glory and our good. Yeah. And that's the character of God revealed within Scripture. So we have to ask ourselves the question, in our suffering, in our pain, in our discomfort, where is God's glory? Hmm. And how is this for our good? And our inability to not see God's glory or to see how this is for our good, that's on us, yeah. to be perfectly honest. Um not that that's a pity, like, oh my gosh, I'm so far away from God. It's like, no, 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 we just don't know yet. God, who has the fullness of time in his vision, we have now. Yeah. I'll, I'll link to the article you and I were talking about earlier. Tim Keller yeah. wrote an article in The Atlantic talking about his time of suffering with pancreatic cancer, where he really just bears witness to 
the incredible things that God has taught him during this season of incredible suffering Mm -hmm. in which he says, these are the happiest days of my life and also the days where I've been grieving the most because of how real Jesus has become to me through this suffering. Why do, you, why do you think it's hard for us to accept that suffering is, some suffering is good for us? I think, our, I think we live in a culture, and I don't know that it's only our culture here and now, but we certainly live in a culture where we want to avoid suffering at all costs. We want to be comfortable. Comfortable is a sign of success. The more successful you get, the more comfortable you make yourself. Right. And so it seems like if you aren't comfortable, you aren't successful. You're not doing mm. it right. You're failing. Yeah. And the truth is that that's often not the case. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, why is it difficult uh, to worship when we're suffering? Or at least I should say to worship God. Yeah, I think our eyes go to ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we feel sorry for ourselves. We wish things were different. We blame, we look to blame people or we blame ourselves. And we just get our eyes off the big picture. We get our eyes off of what God is doing. So let me, let me see if I can echo back today with just two questions. Um, question one is, um, am I caring for people, caring for my neighbor, even when I'm suffering? And question two, am I worshiping God even when I'm suffering? Hey, thank you guys so much for coming with us on this journey of the seven words of Christ from the cross. Um, next week, probably going to do three of them, kind of wrap it up. Um, yeah, I think, I think we can shoot for the final three words uh, next week. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. We'll, we'll see you soon. I'm Taylor. And I'm Brian. And this is the Echo Podcast. Where we are looking for truth in the noise. <laughs>